name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A man called Thomas Flynn, once author, journalist, and executive director of the Council of Secular Humanism, who's now passed away, used to explain to rational, free-thinking people why they shouldn't celebrate Christmas. As a secular humanist, Flynn urged other non-believers to ignore Christmas altogether. He said, if, you, if Jesus is not your saviour, Christmas is not your holiday. Thomas Flynn had a point. After all, Christmas, Christians sorry, believe that over 2,000 years ago, something happened, something supernatural, something totally out of the ordinary, something humanly unexplainable. We believe God invaded our world in the form of a tiny baby. Now, that's a stunning thought if you think about it for a moment, which we really do because it's easier to sing Christmas, uh, sing about Christmas, than to actually ask what it's about. Something happened that had never happened before and something happened that will never happen since. And we believe that long ago, in a forgotten corner of the Roman Empire, in a tiny village where there was no room in the inn, a baby was born to a frightened young couple who swaddled the baby and laid him in a feeding trough. Now, nothing could seem more obscure. Just a, another Jewish baby, just another exhausted mother, just another concerned father. Jesus wasn't the only baby born in Bethlehem. He certainly wasn't the only baby born that night. Today, and every day, 385,000 babies are born around the world every day. While the number wouldn't have been that high over 2,000 years ago, we can safely assume that Jesus was one of many thousands of babies born on that same day. And so I'm pointing out that we believe something extraordinary about one particular baby. One baby born to one born in one particular place to one particular set of parents. That baby and no other baby was God in human flesh. And so what are the chances? When it comes to Christmas, we unashamedly confess that behind the carols, that behind the decorations, that behind the parties, that behind the sermons, behind everything lies an undeniable historic truth. And that truth is that 2,000 years ago, God became man in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We not only believe that, but as believers, we stake our life on it. But what if it's not true? What if there's nothing there behind all the singing and all the celebrating? What if Jesus was just another baby? Or what if he never came at all? What if Thomas Flynn is right? Let me say again what Thomas Flynn is... Let me say again. Thomas Flynn is, is certainly right about one thing. If Jesus is not your saviour, then Christmas is not your holiday. When we read the story of Christ's birth, we can't miss the fact that many people weren't ready for his coming. Many people didn't believe in it. Even among the people who knew Mary and knew Joseph, there were those who had their doubts. The central question then becomes, is it true? Did he really come? 
Is Jesus really the one? And that's an honest question this morning. In order to think about this properly, let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 3 again. And that's the story of John the Baptist, who was in prison because he confronted King Herod about his scandalous immorality. And while he's in prison, John the Baptist had a question and goes right to the heart of Christmas. Let's review again what John asked in verses 1 to 3. Now, when Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and proclaim his message in their cities. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word, to his, to, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Are you the one? That question echoes down the corridors of time this morning. And it resonates with men and women also in the 21st century. Jesus, are you the one? Are you really the Son of God? Or shall we look for someone else? You may think those questions to be blasphemous. But God doesn't. He's not intimidated by yours or my scepticism or embarrassed by your or my doubts. After all, eternal questions or eternal, sorry, eternal issues this morning are at stake. If Jesus is the one, then we better be sure about that. If he's not the one, we better be looking to figure out as soon as we can so that we can find out who is the one and follow him or her. There may be lines of evidence we might follow to answer that question this morning. But I want to focus on one question that the Jews of the first century would have understood. So Jewish people of the first century would have understood this question because biblical scholars tell us that the Old Testament contains over 300 references to the coming Messiah. 300 references. And if you start in Genesis and go all the way to Malachi, we can find something about the promised Messiah in virtually every book of the Bible. Out of those hundreds of references, I want to focus in this morning on seven particular prophecies that help us answer that question. Are you the one? Number one is the born of a woman. We, we start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which takes us back to the dawn of humanity in the, in the moments after Adam and Eve first sinned against God feeling their pain, feeling their guilt and shame, they hid from the Lord, the Bible says. And this is what the Lord said to the serpent who deceived them. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you shall strike his heel. We find three statements or three sentences of judgment in this verse. First, there will be ongoing hostility between the serpent and the woman, Eve now knows the serpent cannot be trusted. Second, there will be two lines of humanity uh, constantly at odds with each other. Those who follow the serpent's ways will fight continuously against those who follow the ways of the Lord. And third, there will come someone, the he, in, the, in verse 15, the he, who will ultimately destroy the serpent's power. The serpent will strike his heel in the crucifixion. But 
in that same event, the Messiah will crush the serpent's head. Though the heel, a heel bruise is very painful, a crushed head this morning is fatal. One of our most beloved Christmas carols that we will sing on Christmas Eve and probably Christmas Day, I'm not sure, but we'll, we're going to sing this. Uh, it contains a verse that alludes to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Here's the first part of that verse from Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Come, desire of nations come, fix in us thy humble home, rise the woman's conquering seed, bruised in us the serpent's head. Where do we find this promise fulfilled? Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Number two is a descendant of Abraham. Now this is an easy one to see. We just need to go to the first verse of the New Testament, Matthew 1, 1. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We know from Genesis 12 that God intended to bless the whole world uh, through Abraham's descendants. But he was an old man and had no son. How could God do it? He worked a miracle, the Bible says, in Abraham's body and also in Sarah's body. So that even though Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 89, God gave them the supernatural strength so that she conceived. And Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. <coughs> then the line begins. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of, of Israel, and the nation of Israel after that. So 2,000 years later, Jesus was born as part of Abraham's line. Number three, from the tribe of Judah. Consider the words of Genesis 49 verse 10 the shall not depart the sepulchre shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples now in poetic and cryptic language an elderly Jacob predicts the Messiah will come from Judah one day all the nations will pay tribute to him. Revelation 5.5 calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. Number four, a descendant of David. In Samuel, 2 Samuel verses 7, 12 to 16, Nathan comes to David and promises that he will never lack a descendant to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Jeremiah 23 verse 5 clarifies the promise by declaring that a ruler will come who will be a righteous branch a descendant of David, and he will rule with wisdom and understanding. And who could that be? Go back to Matthew 1, 1, Jesus Christ, the son of David. And in Luke 1, 20, uh, Luke 1, 32, when Gabriel came to Mary, he told her the son that she would bear would be called the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Number five, announced by John the Baptist. When Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ, he predicted a forerunner who would announce the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, He will cry out in the wilderness. Malachi 3 1 says, He will clear the way for the coming of the Lord. 
Now in Mark chapter 1, when Mark quotes the Old Testament, he combines, Matthew, he, he combines Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3. He then immediately announces John the Baptist. He immediately announces it's John the Baptist in Mark 1, 4 to 8. And he says, this messenger was John the Baptist. We have Isaiah 40, we have Malachi 3 fulfilled in Matthew 3, fulfilled in Matthew 11, fulfilled in Mark 1, fulfilled in Luke 1 and Luke 7. The New Testament writers understood those Old Testament passages were fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist. Number 6, the, virgin, the, birth, the born of a virgin. When King Ahaz doubted God's promise, the Lord says, I'm going to send you a sign that will surprise you. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. No matter how Ahaz understood this, there was no way he could foresee that 700 years later, God would bring it to pass through the miracle of the virgin birth. We don't have to wonder about this because the, when the angel spoke to Joseph in a dream, he said all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then the angel quoted Isaiah 7 verse 14. So, where are we up to? 7, the last one, born in Bethlehem. Now, the line narrows even further at this point. Not only will the Messiah be born of a virgin, God now specifies exactly where he would be born. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old coming forth is from is from for, of old from ancient days. Though Bethlehem was small and insignificant, the Messiah will be born there. Here's, this, here's the amazing part. Micah gave this prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ. And all Jewish leaders knew this. They knew this prophecy. We know that they knew it because, because in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 6, when the wise men showed up to Jerusalem looking for the one uh, born king of the Jews, Herod went and asked the scribes about it. And what did the scribes do in Matthew 2, 1 to 6. What did they quote? They quoted Micaiah. So, so, so they quoted Micah 5, 2 to Herod and, and, and as if to say, oh, that's easy. Everyone knows the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. It's in the Old Testament. And that's how they found to go to Bethlehem. There was a star, yes, but it was in the Scriptures. So this prophecy of, of, of Micah is not a made-up sermon illustration. The prophecy predicted where Christ would be born 700 years in advance. So, here are the seven prophecies about the birth of Christ. Born of a woman, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, announced by John the Baptist, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. That's seven different prophecies uttered by five different people 
over 1,200 years. And all of them were fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. So who is he? He came exactly as God promised. Acts 10.43 All the prophets testify about him. Then go to the Emmaus Road where Jesus spoke to the two disciples on the day of his resurrection. Luke 24.25 How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This morning I've given you seven prophecies surrounding this birth. But there are over 300 prophecies about the life of Christ in the Old Testament. Could this have happened by chance? Well, you could say that. You could say that it happened by chance. But what are the chances this morning? A mathematician named Peter Stoner investigated this very question that we've just asked. Instead of looking at 300 prophecies, he asked, what are the chances that just eight of those prophecies of the 300 happened by chance. After doing the calculations, he concluded the chances were 1 in 10 to the power of the 17th or to the 17th power. Now, if you wrote that out, it would look like this. 1 in 100 quadrillion. Now, let's put that into some perspective. Let's say you took that many 50 cent pieces and scattered them across New South Wales. They would cover the state of New South Wales 60 centimetres deep. Now, just take one of those 50 cent pieces and mark it with a red X. And then you could throw it into that pile from, from, from South Australia, from Victoria, from Queensland, from the Pacific Ocean, whatever. You've got to chuck that into that pile then blindfold a volunteer and ask them to find that Mark 57 piece on their first try. That's the odds that it happened by chance. Rob's a mathematician, he's trying to figure that out. <laughs> he's a science teacher, he knows what I'm talking about. That's the same odds that eight, eight, only eight predictions about Christ could be fulfilled by chance. And yet Christ fulfilled over 300 prophecies. When you come to the Christmas story, either it happened by chance or he is the Son of God who came from heaven to earth. Let's have a look at a personal application as we close. That brings us back to the question that John the Baptist asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Chapter 11, sorry. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus didn't answer him by appealing to fulfil prophecy, did he? he? He didn't say, let's take those 50 cent pieces and scatter them all across Judea sorry, and see if you can find the right one while blindfolded. He didn't say that. He could have made that kind of argument, but he didn't. Instead, he appeals to the proof of lives changed by his power, doesn't he? He says, go tell John. What you heard, hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The dead hear and the dead are raised and the poor have God good news brought to them. It is precisely because he fulfilled those prophecies this morning that he is able to do those miracles. It all goes together. 
The prophecies establish his identity. The miracles demonstrate his power. Let's make this personal because he is the promised saviour. He has the power to change your life. He, if he's not the fulfilment of those predictions, then he has no power at all. But because he perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, he has the power to change your life today. And that brings me back to Thomas Flynn, who said, if Jesus is not your saviour, Christmas is not your holiday. And he's right. He's right. If Jesus isn't your saviour, Christmas isn't really got anything to do with you. It's just a fun holiday. Christmas uh, rightly belongs to those who worship Jesus as Saviour and Lord. It belongs to those whose lives have been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Everyone is on, every, and everyone else is on the outside of that. He is, is he the one this morning? That's the question we're asking. Is he the one? Yes, he is. Is he your Saviour? Well, I can't answer that question for you. You have to answer that question for yourself. And after all, after all I've said this morning, you may walk away laughing. And that's your choice this morning. But he's still the one. You may say, I don't need him. But he's still the one. You may say, let's argue some more. And when all the arguing is done, he's still the one. In the end, Christmas must become very personal. What will you do with Jesus? He will not force his way into your life. He loves you. He came for you. He died for you. What will you do with him? All I can do is to tell you what I know. After that, the choice is yours. He's the one. He is your saviour. And so this morning, as I close, I want to offer you a simple prayer that possibly could change your life. And before we pray together, I remind you that a prayer... Is just words, unless you express it from the desire of your heart. But if you are ready, you can be saved, even in this service. So let me pray. And you can pray this with me. It's going to be on the screen. I pray this quite regularly, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a leaky bucket. Sometimes by the time Saturday comes along, I forget who I am. I need Sundays to remember so let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Far too long I have lived without you. I believe you are the one who came from heaven. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my heart and save me. Amen. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's good to reaffirm your faith in Jesus. We all need to make that journey to Bethlehem to meet Jesus, the one who came for us. May God give us faith to welcome him as Saviour and Lord and King. In the name of the one who came for us, all God's people say, Amen.